Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. It was on the 4th that we began Romans chapter 6, and it was a fitting Sunday to begin such a chapter as we really began to look at the great revolution that occurred in Christ's victory over sin. More than our American Independence Day and victory over the tyranny of British rule, the victory that comes through Christ over the tyranny of sin and Satan's rule is far, far greater. I trust you would agree. And so by way of review uh, this morning, throughout the first half of Romans 6, we considered how Paul calls us to first realize the victory that we have in Christ and our association with his death and resurrection. So many people live their lives engaged in an endless battle with sin, failing to realize that the battle has been won. The battle has already been won, that there is freedom in Christ. And so I want us to touch on some of these verses from our previous study this morning, just to set the context once again. Let's go ahead and begin in verse 7 here. Let's read verses 7 through 10. Paul writes, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Praise the Lord. As we consider that, we must Remember, we must realize here within this context that in fact, he who has died has been freed from sin. And and we then as Christians, as believers, are identified along with Christ in his death and alive. We must realize that the battle has been won. Part of the victory for a Christian, part of walking in victory, is realizing that sin has no hold on me any longer. I am dead to it. I have now the power because of Christ to say no to sin in my life. Now from there, we learn, first realize, then reckon ourselves. Paul uses this word reckon, that that is to count ourselves, to have confidence that, that we've come to the conclusion that this is the case, that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to understand that this applies to us. Once we've given our lives to Christ, and because of this then, we must respond. We must take action. We must react. And so in verses 12 through 13, Paul says, therefore, Paul says, because of these things, because of this truth that you now realize that you've reckoned to yourself, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, verse 13, to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul says we need to take action. We've been given victory in Christ, but we must act upon it. The simple fact here, as I've stated already, is that you have the power to say no to sin. 
And you have the responsibility of not offering up your body as a tool for evil. And as we do this, then, we walk in victory. And as we walk in victory, we are sanctified. We're changed. We're made holy. It's the process. It's the journey that we're on in this in-between place between Christ's death and resurrection and His eventual return and our being taken into glory. We're in this space here now where we're being sanctified. We're being transformed. We're being changed. But we need to be a part of that process. But as much as we sometimes struggle in our sin, we do so because I believe we don't have, uh, we've not solidified, we've not reckoned it in our mind that I no longer need to be a slave to this. Paul says in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Guys, there's many verses in scripture that are great encouragement. This should be on the list. If there are any of you that are struggling in habitual sin, if there are any of you that are, that are struggling with just, man, there's this thing in my life, and I'm so tired of it. I'm so frustrated. I feel like I'm just losing the battle. We need to look to Scripture, and we need to read verses like Romans 6.14 and understand that sin shall not have dominion over you. Christian, do you live in light of this truth each day? Do you remind yourself of this as you, as you go about your day? Some of you may say, well, yes, I do. I try, but then I'm, but I'm not having victory. Oftentimes it's the case that maybe people misunderstand this truth that's being declared. Because the remainder of this verse tells us something that's very important. That if left out, we don't have a proper understanding of verse 14. Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. There's an important part of this verse there that is commonly overlooked. We often, truth be told, misunderstand grace. There's something interesting about this revolution that we have in Christ that I think uh, we can continue to, to draw a parallel from. If I continue with the, the July 4th uh, theme for a moment. You see, the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, the freedom from British rule, this and many other things has long fueled this idea of American independence, of which we are all influenced by in one way or another by simply being in this country. In this country, more so really than any other, there has long been a sense of freedom a sense of autonomy, an independence that says we can do what we want to do. So we can have things our way. After all, this is America, right? And you may sense in my tone something that feels like mocking, and it's not my intention. In fact, I'm in many respects quite proud of this country. The history that we have, albeit very bleak at times, there was something woven throughout it that was different than countries we see throughout this world. There is much to look at and to be uh, impressed by. And so while elements of, of, of this, of, of the ideals of this country, are true in theory, insofar as they speak to basic human rights, often, again, a, a shining example to the rest of the world and often not, here's the problem for us as believers today. 
this, this idea of independence, it also brings with it delusions of strength. What do I mean by that? In all the ways that we often stand on our freedoms, and I'm not speaking against such freedoms as are outlined in our Constitution. I think it's one of the most incredible documents that's ever been created. If applied equally, it's wonderful. But as believers, we must recognize something that I think Paul David Tripp uh, quotes well, is the failed quest for the self-congratulatory glory of independence. He says, and this has, this has bearing on our understanding of Romans 6 this morning, that our problem is our delusions of strength that keep us from seeking the grace that strengthens us in our weakness. What am I saying? Here's the thing. The fact is, and we must understand this, we are not created to be independent. Am I suggesting that we should be under uh, some sort of foreign rule? No. Politically, geopolitically speaking, absolutely not. This is, a, this is a metaphor. But we are not, because we've been freed from the rule of Satan, now because of God's grace, just free to do whatever we want to do. And oftentimes that's what we think. That God's grace, this unmerited favor, this freedom from sin means, hallelujah, I'm free. And I just get to move forward now. And we can find ourselves then struggling in different patterns of sin, thinking, well, Scripture says I'm, I'm free from this. Well, did you pay attention to the second part of the verse? It says you're no, under the, you're no longer under law. Praise God. Christ has done that work for us. But you're are, you are still under something. What are you under? Grace. You see, grace just isn't this free gift. Grace is something that God is still using in our lives that we must submit ourselves to. Every one of us in some way, shape, or form bucks against the innate fact that we're created for dependence. We don't like it. From the time that we're very little, we're seeking out our independence, are we not? From the time that we can begin to, to use our hands and develop fine motor skills, kids begin to say, no, I want to do it myself, right? I mean, it's, it's there within us, this longing to say, I'm going to do it on my own. We're created, though, to be dependent on Him. And, and this life, just like we've been studying on Wednesday nights, is a life in many respects of brokenness. And I think a lot of times the brokenness that we see in this life, we want to say, well, that's just because it's a fallen world. And yes, in many respects it is, but don't think that God who is sovereign isn't using that brokenness to make you more dependent upon Him. I would submit to you, and this isn't truth in every case necessarily. It's as if the person who says to somebody who's just dealing with a situation in their life, well, then there must be sin in your life because of this. No, that's not, that's not truth. But the fact of the matter is there are times when somebody's going through trial after trial after trial and the reality is God is saying, I'm allowing this in your life. I'm allowing this to come so that you will finally just surrender and be dependent upon me. God is in the business of breaking people. And, and, and we in our delusions of strength and our desire for independence look at that and say, well, how dare God? But when we have a right understanding of His grace and come to a place where we're willing to bring ourselves under His grace, we can say, thank you, God, for breaking me. Your way is so much better. He uses that brokenness to draw us to Him, to depend on Him, and to depend on His grace. But we really struggle to understand grace. And this is where Paul then picks up. This is why he writes, in my opinion, the second part of this chapter. In verse 15, he continues writing, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. 
So Paul here, if this sounds familiar, he's restating an earlier thought at the beginning of the chapter that's rooted once again in a misunderstanding of grace. The free gift of grace, we must understand, is not licensed to sin all the more. But so often, that is how freedom is viewed. Now, we may not think that out loud. We may not say that. But it's oftentimes how we act. It's this idea that I can do what I want. I'm free. This is sort of the idea, as I've elaborated, on American independence. And please don't understand, I want to state this again. I do love this country and I'm grateful for our freedoms, but sometimes we're a little obnoxious with our freedoms because we misunderstand it. Those who have gone before us, and I'm speaking now in terms of this country, they understood that with the freedom that was fought for came responsibility. Tremendous responsibility. And God's forgiveness, His grace. It's not just this diplomatic immunity from the judgment and condemnation of hell that, that, that now I can just kind of do what I want, sin a little here, sin a lot over there, but hey, God's grace covers it. Paul says, certainly not. Our lives are to be changed. They're to look different. Kent Hughes writes, interpreting the freedom we have in Christ in an unqualified sense empowers sin to pull believers back under its authority. And if this kind of perverse reasoning becomes a permanent part of our thinking, it may reveal that we are not under grace and perhaps never have been. So you see, because of Christ's work on the cross, because He lived the perfect life and fulfilled the law on our behalf, we are free from the rule of sin, praise God. But we are now under grace. We still have a master, as it were. And Paul will speak to this in a moment. You see, friends, we're not simply free. We belong to someone else now. Grace is not just God's unmerited favor, but it's now what we are living our lives for and by and to. And often people, because of our desire for independence, they say, well, maybe then I don't want anything to do with this Christianity thing because I just want to be free to do my own thing. That's the pervasive thought in our culture, and it's been there for a while. I just want to be me. Truth is relative. I'm independent. I can believe my own truth. I can make up my own truth. But these are lies from the enemy that keep you enslaved to sin. In many respects, we are all like the recent high school graduate, no offense to any of you if you're here in the moment, who moves out quickly from their family's nice, well-cared-for, loving home in search of independence and experiences. And then the first trip to the grocery store, and the rent bill comes, and the electric bill, and so on and so on. They find themselves saying, I think I'll go back home. Living under my parents' roof and their rules wasn't so bad. In fact, there was freedom under their authority. Then there's the other person who's eating their thousandth serving of ramen by candlelight, who says to themselves, this is the good life, freedom. I can do whatever I want to do, right? And you look at them and you say, no, you can't. You're living like a fool. It's the prodigal son who finds himself in a pig pen and says, Sir, surely my father's servants are faring far better than I. I'll go back. And many times we find ourselves in those places of brokenness where we begin to understand my father's rule is better. 
Paul writes verse 16. Or excuse me. So Paul here, in order then, prior to getting into verse 16, in order to help us really grasp this argument, he appeals then to a powerful metaphor to help us see how life this side of eternity really works. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, as Paul employs this metaphor, it's important to note, because people have suggested this, that he is in no way condoning slavery. Rather, what he's doing here is appealing to something that would be familiar to all. The fact of the matter is, writing to this church that was in Rome, in Rome, slaves accounted for about one-third of the population. And amongst even the free, many were at one time enslaved. And so slavery in this time was almost the way of doing business. And so what Paul understands is that of his Roman audience, they would surely understand then the point that he was making. But the fact of the matter is, we're all familiar as well uh, with, with this idea of slavery. And I would submit to you, even in some respects, less so because of our nation's sad history, but because in terms of how Paul is speaking, in terms of what he's talking about, we are in fact also slaves ourselves. Follow me for a moment here in terms of what even Jesus himself had to say, speaking to his fellow countrymen in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. If you're taking notes, just write John 8, 31 through 36. Jesus says to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? You see, they, they recoiled at this thinking, we've never been slaves to anyone. But Jesus answers them, verse 34, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. In verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We might be inclined to say like them, we've never been in bondage. But the truth is, we're all slaves to something. It's just a matter of what? Foundationally, at the base level, sin, is it sin leading to death? or righteousness and Christ leading to eternal life. Those are your two options. It's one or the other. And this is where the delusion of strength often comes in. We so often think, I can do it on my own. I'm my own man. I'll make my own way. No, you won't. And here's the thing. Even as believers, though there is victory it doesn't mean perfection. I've spoken to this already. I've prayed about this. We're in this in-between time, this process of sanctification. So though sin no longer has dominion over us, it doesn't mean we're perfect. So in this room and, and those watching online and those that will be here in the second service who are in denial about who and what they are serving, there are some of you that though you know Christ, you're slaves to your job. Plain and simple, you are. You're giving all of your time, energy, and talent to your work. There are some that are slaves to pride, seeking to fuel it on a regular basis in constant pursuit of recognition and affirmation. There are slaves to, to lust and to sex, 
slaves to judgmental hearts that are quick to point out things in others' lives and not on their own. Slaves to anger, quick tempers, slaves to fear. We're all still dealing with these things today. And we must recognize that Christ has broken those chains. And it's time for you to step out in obedience and to surrender to him and his word. It's this very action, this obedience on the part of this church that Paul is writing to that prompts him then to move to praise in verse 17. But God be thanked, Paul says, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Paul says, you were this way, but from your heart you obeyed that form of doctrine, which could be translated pattern of teaching. From your heart you obeyed the teaching that was presented to you. Meaning that those who have obeyed from the heart, that have accepted Christ, are then in a process of their lives being transformed by a pattern of teaching. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, which comes by His Spirit through the study of His Word. Paul says, praise God that you accepted Christ and that you in being obedient to this can say, sin's no longer my master. Righteousness is. And the Holy Spirit's at work in me day after day, helping me to align my life with his word. The question becomes for each of us, it's a necessary question. Are we abiding in his word? Are we spending time doing that very work? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we allowing ourselves to, to, to be taught the Word of God? Now, you may be saying, well, I'm sitting here this morning. Well, praise God. That's a wonderful thing. But this just sort of gets the engine started for the week. Make sure there's, there's gas in the tank. And it better get used up throughout the week, right? That we, we continue. We continue pursuing and driving and going. This isn't the only place. We don't just park ourselves here and go, okay, that's good. No, this needs to be a habit of discipline in our lives. And so this means then that the victory Paul is speaking of, which is accomplished through Christ, is achieved once again by the believer actually giving themselves to this, being obedient. And no differently than our desire for independence, we don't really love obedience either. <laughs> it's one of those same things that's in us from the beginning. Obey. What is a parent's job regarding their children? To teach them how to obey. That's a big part of what we do. That's a big part of athletics. That's a big part of, of school and teachers and all these different things is helping kids to learn, yes, but to function in an environment where they're willing to submit themselves to rules and to authority such that they can function well. Boundaries and guidelines are necessary things for us. Abused in the hands of humans, yes, but definitely rooted in God's word. And so inherent within this is that we in our old nature, we fight against it. We fight against obedience. We fight against surrender. Now Paul says slavery. This is the word that he uses, the metaphor that he uses. No longer to sin, he says, slavery then to righteousness. 
And Paul says at the beginning of verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Meaning, Paul's saying, I use this example to help you really understand. Continuing on, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You see, once again, we must respond. We must act. Though Christ has done the work, and though, yes, through belief in Him, through repentance and belief in Him, we're promised eternal life. He says, there's work for you to do. There's a life for you to live for my glory. There's a crown for you to earn. Wait a minute, are you talking about works-based salvation? No, that's been done. But yes, He says there's still rewards for you in heaven based on what you do for me here. Sadly, there's many Christians who in their disobedience, Kent Hughes also gave an example, I didn't include it, but it's just on my mind now. He said of his dog, he said, oh, my dog. He said, a a loved member of the family. Emphasis on member of the family, as we are members of the body of Christ. But oh, it's been a long time since my dog has had the privilege, the joy of running wild in a field. Why? Because too many times in a row, (laughs) he set out and went out on his own adventure, disobedient, doing what he wanted to do. And he says, so now our dog, though still there, though still loved, is on a leash when he's outside. (laughs) Right? That may not be a metaphor we like to to kind of bring ourselves under, but sadly it's true of many of us, disobedient and disobedient and disobedient, that though God still loves us, and even because he loves us, we find ourselves in places of saying, man, I'm, I'm fairly restricted these days. Maybe not enjoying much of what God has intended and the things he wanted to do in our lives because we were unwilling to bring ourselves under right and proper authority, his word. See, as Christians, we're not called to believe on Christ, leaving the former life behind and then sit around like a bunch of lazy bums. No, we're to give ourselves to the process of sanctification, which comes through obedience to him and his word, living it out. In 1 Peter, in chapter 1, Peter writes in, in verses 13 through 16, I love this, what we know about Peter. I mean, we have very, very little scripture, of course, that he's written. We have, uh, of course, wonderful truths about him that are recorded in the Gospels. And so when I read passages like this, I can't help but think, yeah, this sounds like a Peter. As he says in verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope, your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I think far too often in our understanding of God's grace, we give ourselves a pass. And we convince ourselves that, well, God, thank, thank God for his grace. Because me, I'm just sort of fumbling my way through this thing, just falling into sin, falling into sin, falling into sin. Are you falling into sin? Are you walking headlong into it? Ignorant, which, by the way, is translated stupid. And just thinking, well, praise God for his grace. No, what Peter says here is he says, gird up the loins of your mind. We don't talk that way, right? When's the last time somebody said, well, gird up the loins of your mind? Pardon? Let's, par- let, 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 let's, let's paraphrase this. Pull yourself together, man. Get ready. Build, get ready to go. Ready position. Get ready to act. 
Quit laying around. We got to get after this. As obedient children, we got to be willing to submit. Don't conform yourselves any longer to that garbage in your past. You died to that. Scripture says, be holy. Be holy? I thought that happened in glory. It will, praise God. He'll finish the work. But between now and then, you're expected to pursue it. There's not a pass because of His grace. It's because of His grace that you can be holy. Achieve perfection? No. So don't think I'm going down this holiness movement stuff, okay? No. But we're to be about pursuing it. Not giving ourselves a pass because of His grace, but because of His grace, say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming. I'm getting after it. Holiness is not a suggestion. It requires commitment. It requires obedience. It requires surrender. And in this way and in this way only is slavery truly freedom. It seems a paradox, perhaps, but it's truth. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It's interesting what Paul is saying here. When you were a slave to sin, you didn't do anything righteous. Doesn't mean that anybody who sins and doesn't know Christ is just a terrible person in every way, shape, or form. No. But he's saying you, you were a slave to sin. You were doing what your flesh wanted to do. You weren't doing righteousness. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then? And the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Sometimes our tendency, because of our delusions of strength and desire for independence, we think, well, I just choose sin. It sounds more fun. Or we think, I'll just, again, do it my own way. I'm a good enough person. I'll get by. But Paul says, no, you're still a slave. Your life is not your own. You just think it is. And what fruit is your life bearing? Your past life? The old man? All it does is bring death. You're like that kid eating ramen thinking he's living the good life, right? And that's not a matter of perspective. That's stubbornness. You're the prodigal son just staying in the pig pen. Ask the person. If we think that that's the good life Paul wants them to understand. If he, he, ask the person living in promiscuity what fruit their freedom is bearing. I've, I've, I've worked in this context before. I've worked amongst the, 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 the pregnancy care centers and, and where we do free STD testing and all these different types of things. People living the good life and getting treatment because of it. The person living for the next party. Ask them, is it freedom? The next high, the person living for the next bonus check or affirmation for a job well done for an earthly endeavor, every one of those things fades. I did it myself. I pursued it for many years. And I had accolades and I had promotions and I had all these different things. And do you know that today, all these years after that, after leaving that, does anybody remember them? No. I'm just somewhere in the records as team member number 36205317. That's it. Now, did I touch some lives along the way? Certainly. Do I have people that call me today, friends of mine, other believers that we were? Yes, but that's the difference. That was kingdom work. So even within the workplace, guys, please don't misunderstand. There's kingdom work that happens, but that's what remained. It's those guys who call and say, man, I need prayer today. It's those guys who you take through the process, but you do it in a way that's loving. Who, Man, this job isn't working out for them, but you do it in a way where you can uphold Christian principles. And it's those same people who... By golly, you're fired. But they're in a new job and they're praising and, and thanking God and saying, hey, help, thank you for helping me work through this to figure this out. I'm in a great place now. This job is so much better suited for me. Okay, so again, I'm not suggesting that anything we do in this world is just foolish, but only what we do for the glory of God. 
Everything, everything else, it fades, it dies. This world is literally in the process of dying. And so as much as we yoke ourselves with it, we too are on that same path. Verse 22, but now, but now. Don't we love it when we see that in Scripture? But now, it's a wonderful contrast that brings us from a place of darkness to a place of light, having been set free from sin, hallelujah, and having become slaves of God. Wait, am I comfortable with that yet? We should be. There's only one choice. Do you want to be, do you want to have, to have sin and Satan as your master or God and righteousness? That's your choice. No, I'm still walking my own path. No, you're not. Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. In the end, everlasting life. Free from sin, slaves to God. But the end, a fruitful life. A life that matters. Sanctification. Eternal life. That's what we have in Christ. Verse 23. You know this one. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin, Satan, he pays wages. He pays wages. You work as a slave and then you get paid with death. And an eternity of torment. Many call it freedom. It's the delusion that they've bought into. And this world and its prince owns them. And at the end, it capitalizes on their life. But with God, he pays no wages. Well, wait a second. That doesn't seem fair. No, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. But he does it anyway. He gives. He doesn't pay wages. He gives. He gives rewards to those who believe in their, and, and his rewards are eternal life and a crown of righteousness and glories beyond that we cannot comprehend. And he says, these aren't wages. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just asking you to come to me and it's yours. But in the same way, we must realize our lives are not our own. Our life is to be lived for him, spent for him. And not until we truly grasp this will that warring within our members begin to cease. Paul calls us in this chapter to realize what Christ has done for us. To lay hold of that work in our lives, but to begin to live differently because of it. To take action. This freedom that he calls us to, it's different than any freedom we've ever known or heard about. Paul declares that there is victory, freedom in Christ, but it's only realized when we become his servant. I'll close with, a, I'll close with two verses that I know you love so much. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, and I want you to see this, not only because these should be, these, these two, if you haven't guessed already, are my life verses. They should be a life verse for all of us, a verse that we regularly go back to. But I keep mentioning this because as we make our way to this, I want you to see along the way how it's building to this. As Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and prove what is that good and perfect will of God. How are we transformed? 
the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our minds? By the power of the Spirit through the Word of God, the Word of God that washes and cleanses. Amen? Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.